Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you're watching here on YouTube, do not forget to click the subscribe button and the bell for continued notifications. Partitive exegesis and the necessity thereof taught in the scriptures, or at least necessarily implied by the scriptures, or we could say it's made necessary by the scriptures themselves. Now, why do I say that? First of all, let's do this. Let's 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 kind of try to define what partitive exegesis is. Um, partitive exegesis is the practice of uh, assuming the two natures in the person of Christ, both divine and human, and reading the text in accordance with that assumption, such that we do not uh, appropriate. Uh, that which is proper to the human nature to the divine, nor do we appropriate that which is proper to the divine nature to the human nature, thus divinizing the human nature and swallowing it up. Um, and so it's a way to be consistent with our confession uh, of the hypostatic union throughout our reading of the scripture. Now, it's not a theological construct imposed upon the scripture because it's the hypostatic union in the first place is derived from the scripture, and then having derived the hypostatic union or the the, uh, the 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 conclusion of the hypostatic union, we read the the text accordingly. Um, and so, we what's really important when we're when we're considering biblical exegesis is that we don't read the Bible as if we haven't already read it elsewhere. So, in other words, like we don't read. Um, uh, texts having to do with uh, the incarnation of Christ uh, as if we never read Deuteronomy 6.4 or as as if we never read Malachi 3.6, right? Um, we don't throw away our doctrine of divine unity or our doctrine of divine immutability that we derive from Deuteronomy 6.4 or Exodus 3.14, aseity, or Malachi 3.6 in terms of uh, in terms of mutability, we don't we don't throw those doctrines away when we come to uh, other texts in Scripture. Um, rather, we we apply those doctrines, right? We we assume those doctrines in the remainder of our exegesis. So we don't we don't we don't toss them to the wind just because we come across Matthew twenty four thirty six and read, "But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only." Well, in light of what we what we read elsewhere, we know that that cannot be an admission of ignorance in the divine nature of the person of the Son, right? Uh, because we know elsewhere that God does not change. So if the Son is God, he is not going to change from being omniscient to not being omniscient, okay? Uh, so Malachi 3, 6, right? We're not going to toss it out the window when we come across texts like Matthew 24, 36. But it gets even more clear than that. Because in the gospel accounts themselves, there is an omniscience confessed of Christ. And it's a present omniscience that's confessed of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel accounts, specifically in John 16 and in John 21. And so what do you do with that? So if you're if you're kind of on the on the tiptoeing along the lines of affirming this kind of neo-canonic Christology where you want to say that, well, Matthew 24, 36 says it, therefore I believe it. Uh, and and the way in which you interpret Matthew 30, 24, 36 is is well Jesus has um, uh, Jesus has left behind 
some aspects of the divine nature and you 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 use the term veiling right you use the t what they want to say is the son has veiled these aspects of his divinity which to them apparently means that in the context of Matthew 24:36 he doesn't have those things anymore or or he has a limited version of omnipresence right and and what that does is it actually it actually understands the um the incarnation in terms of conversion where the divine nature in the person of the son converts into a human nature uh, they don't understand, they're not understanding the incarnation in terms of the of an assumption of human nature, while yet the divine nature remains fully divine, and thus the person of Christ remains fully operative of, according to the divine nature, even while he subsists in human nature and operates according to a human nature, okay? Um, and so... What we what we what we don't want to do is we don't want to take Matthew twenty four thirty six and run roughshod over everything else in the text of Holy Writ, and I think that's what's happening. So um, there are two other places in the gospel accounts, uh, namely in John, where uh, divine omniscience is ascribed to the Son by the disciples, and the first place happens. Well, actually, the first place I'll I'll go to is John twenty one, verse seventeen. And in John 21, verse 17, the, the beginning of the verse, um, Jesus is asking, he's in the process of restoring Peter after Peter's denial, uh, threefold denial. And, and so here we have the threefold restoration. And so we have um, the third time Jesus asks him in, in, in verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Peter saying this to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. All right. So here you have Peter uh, making an explicit affirmation of the all-knowingness of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and actually, uh, John Gill says with reference to this, this profession of Peter, this confession of Peter, that Peter is, is confessing Christ to be God, right? Um, and, and, and so at, while our Lord stands embodied, right, incarnate before Peter, um, Peter is yet able to confess the all-knowing, the present all-knowingness of the Son. Why is he able to do that? Well, in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus admits some ignorance, right? Nobody knows the day or the hour, but my Father only. So, how are both of these things true? We have to, we have to harmonize the text. That's part of the work of of biblical theology is to is to harmonize the text. And so, how do we harmonize the text? Well, the hypostatic union has been the way in which these texts are harmonized, and and these texts force us necessarily in texts like these into the conclusion of the hypostatic union. It's why it's why the early church confessed two natures in the person of the Son following the incarnation was because you 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 have explicit affirmations of the son's deity in the gospel accounts and throughout the new testament um, but you also have things that are proper only to the nature of man uh, that are also ascribed to him and 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 then of course philippians 2 is very clear on this point where he's presently in the form of god yet he 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 also 
uh, took to himself the form of a bond servant, right? The assumption of, of a human nature is what that's communicating. And so the hypostatic union in terms of its, its systematic or dogmatic development is the way that Christians ha have understood the collective teaching of the Holy Scripture. And text and this this dynamic when you when you take something like John twenty one and, and Matthew twenty four that shows us why the early church concluded with the hypostatic union well it's because in terms of God's in terms of the Son's knowledge on the one hand we have unlimited all knowingness Peter's confessing it Jesus is not correcting him for saying for saying this um, and and it's nothing less than a than a a, a, a confession of of Christ's deity. Uh, by the Apostle Peter. And then uh, in Matthew, or in, actually in John 16, uh, if you go over to John 16, or back to John 16, you see in verse 30, actually verse 29, um, his disciples said to him, see now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Verse 30, now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And um, John Gill says on this, he says, um, not only all men, but all things. He knows not only all men, but all things, even the secrets of men's hearts, of which the apostles had now, had now a convincing proof. For whereas Christ had delivered some expressions, which they did not understand and were desirous to ask him of the meaning, which he knowing, being God omniscient, prevents their putting the question to him and enters upon a discourse. So Gill relates this to his omniscience according to his divine nature. And, you know, some people see this in John 16 and John 21, and they say, well, this isn't Jesus saying these things. This is, these are the disciples. These words come from the disciples. As if to say, well, the red letters are more true than the, than the white or black letters. Um, and, um, and, and so we, we understand that that's not the case because the Holy Spirit is, is inspiring these men uh, to speak this way and for these things to be written down in the way that they have been. Um, and so uh, we we want to be careful not to elevate one part of Scripture over another in terms of its authority. Now, that's not to say that Scripture doesn't record errors that men make, right? We have Saul, for example. We have uh, King Saul, and then you have right Saul, who would eventually become Paul, and, and their errors are recorded for us in Scripture. And so perhaps the disciples are making an error here, by saying that you know all things, maybe they're maybe they're in error, maybe they're maybe they're going too far, maybe their confession is too uh, too extreme. In which case, our Lord, we would expect a correction from our Lord, but in fact, we find just the opposite. Because in the case of John sixteen, they say, "Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God." Okay, so by his knowledge that he just has demonstrated to them, they believe that he comes from God. And then what does Jesus do? Does he reprimand them? Well, in a in a sense, he does because it's taken this long for it taken them this long to to come to this conviction. But in verse thirty one, he says, "Do you now believe?" So, at, in in one sense, he's commending their confession because they're confessing something they should have always been confessing. But it's it also comes rhetorically because he's 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 sort of rebuking them for, for having tarried this long in their doubt, all right? And so Jesus doesn't correct them for professing his, his omniscience according to his deity, but he is saying, it took you this long, right? 
Um, and so he, he's commending their faith on the one hand, but, but he's also, he's reprimanding them for tarrying in their, in their doubt on the other. So that put with Matthew 24, 36, you can't just take Matthew 24, 36 and say, well, because it says it, that means that the person of Christ, not just the person of Christ according to his human nature, but the person of Christ absolutely so considered, which would imply both natures, is limited in his knowledge. All right, that seems to be the implication of what's of of a lot of what's being said, and a lot of those who are coming out and speaking about Matthew twenty four thirty six. It seems like the implication of those words is a neo-canonicism where they want to basically just take this statement as an absolute and apply it um, wholesale to the person of Christ without doing the partitive work that Scripture itself makes us to do. And instead understanding the person of Christ, according to both natures, divine and human, as being limited in knowledge at this point. Right? That is, uh, that is not an orthodox conclusion. Um, and the reason it's not orthodox is because the scriptures themselves profess the very opposite. They reveal to us the very opposite, that Jesus did at, at once know all things in, in one sense and at once w- had a limited knowledge in another sense. What senses are we talking about there? Well, according to his deity, the person of Christ, according to his deity, knew all things, unqualifiedly so. He's omniscient. But the person of Christ, according to his humanity, had a limited knowledge and was confined uh, to the limitations of humanity as all humans are. He truly, he truly assumed a human nature and he assumed a true human nature, right? So we don't, we don't divinize the human nature where we make it more than it is. It is a human nature. It's not divine. And we don't humanize the divine nature. And make it less than what it is, which is what we would do if we said it or or implied that it was limited in any way, given Matthew 24, 36. The context of every verse of scripture is the scripture itself. And I think that's very important for us to realize as we read the text of scripture, that we can never take just a verse of the text, abstract it from the whole, and develop a doctrine on it, right? And, 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 um, and a lot of people who are who are seemingly doing this know better, all right? And Matthew 24, 24, 36 does nothing but tell us that Jesus, according to his human nature, is limited in knowledge. He is professing his Father to be, uh, to be omniscient. The Father here is standing in for the, the Godhead, and, um, and he's, not, he's not by any means, given the rest of Scripture, he's not by any means limiting himself according to his deity, all right? Uh, God cannot become not God. God cannot become less than God. Why? Because God is immutable, and to become less than God would become not God, and also you can see the problems, right? So um, Matthew 24, John 16, John 21, all those texts, if they're all taken together, you get not only the hypostatic union, but you get the necessity of partitive exegesis, that is, reading the text in light of the hypostatic union. One person, 
in which there are two natures perfectly united together without composition or conversion or confusion, as the confession says. So hopefully this was helpful. God bless you guys. If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to the channel. I would appreciate it.